Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So nothing happened uh, over the holiday long weekend that warranted a an emergency episode. A lot happened in the Red Wings world, and I'm not even just talking draft. Like Eisman went out and signed a million players like he was last year, which was a bit surprising, but nothing that crossed the threshold of, okay, wherever we are in the world, we have to pull the mics out and record and just get something out because this is such monumental Red Wings news. And you want to know why it didn't happen? Because I brought my recording gear with me. Of course. Yeah, this time. Of course. Like an absolute lunatic, I had like swim trunks, you know, bucket hat, shades, whatever, and a mic and recording equipment. And the the universe went, well, it's not fun if he's prepared for this. So we're just going to let him, let them just uh, enjoy their weekends. So, well, people could have just went back and listened to last year's episode at the same time because Eisenman just signed Cop and Sherrod again. So, you know, you can just recycle some old <laughs> content on this one. Fair enough. Just ran it back. I, it is surprising the way this free agency shook out. And we're going to get into all that. But uh, I, I want to start this by saying to new listeners, genuinely, not every episode is like an hour and a half to two hours. And they're going to stop believing me because this, I, we don't know how long this one's going to run, but this might be the third consecutive like mega episode. It's just such a whiplash amount of news in the Red Wings world after just nothing, 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 draft prep, draft prep, draft prep. Even Red Wings hockey when it was on, like nothing amounted to this amount of substance genuinely. And then two days of the draft, then free agency right after just saying, if the league started a bit earlier, ended a bit earlier, did the draft, gave it a little bit of time, then free agency, then by like 4th of July slash Canada Day long weekend, everyone's already at their cottages. The NHL can just relax and enjoy themselves. Just an idea, Gary. Just an idea. Anyways, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. This is our uh, free agency frenzy recap episode. Yes, tempting fate by talking about it before maybe signings aren't done or trades uh, haven't happened, but uh, this is what the Winged Wheel Podcast is here for, to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of free agency, uh, and everything else to do with the NHL. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be talking to you about uh, exactly all of the signings that Steve Eisenman made for Hockey Town as we go from the big ones and JT Comfer and Justin Hall uh, down even to the two-way deals that were uh, signed. We'll be talking about the major news uh, that is Philip Zadina being waived after he requested a trade uh, before the draft. And then we'll talk about uh, some other notes from across the league, depending on time, maybe other big signings, trades. You know, Tyler Bertuzzi went somewhere on a pretty shocking deal. Uh, speculation about, you know, don't hate me for saying it, but to bring it uh, plenty more before we take your questions for overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know of two things. First, uh, this podcast is proudly supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to go the extra mile and support the show, uh, everything that we do is is made possible by our patrons uh, from you know creating this show and, and growing it and making it better, hopefully uh, with every episode, to uh, creating our additional content uh, via the spinoff show, Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth uh, Iyer and Sean Shapiro. You should definitely check that show out. Uh, it also allows us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation in their fight against substance use disorder. One way we do that is by hosting Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. Uh, that's a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and it's funded uh, you know, completely by us. We don't take 
anything from that, and that's made possible by our patrons. Uh, so again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show and go that extra mile. Speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino is the Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom presented by Trinity Health. Uh, it's going to be a great event. It's always good to have a roast, but this time they're adding Nicholas Lidstrom, so there's a toast portion as well because how do you roast the perfect human? Uh, there's two levels of tickets available now if you go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, it's a phenomenal cause, and it's going to be a great event, and we hope to see you all there. Let's jump right into free agency. Genuinely, 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 and, and not joking, like trying to tempt fate and say, oh, we want a quiet weekend because, you know, we're tired from the draft. I was honestly going into this weekend not expecting much from Steve Eisenman and the Red Wings. I was expecting a right-handed D signing of some kind. I was expecting a backup goalie signing of some kind. And I thought, eh, if things get crazy, maybe the Debrinka trade. If things get crazy, maybe, you know, Sprong or Tarasenko. But not much. And uh, it was, I think, Friday morning where something we'd been hearing for some time, which was JT Comfer, and he was a guy that the Red Wings had their eye on, that was really picking up steam. So we were kind of tracking that throughout the day. But that was not the only move that the Red Wings made. It seems like every possible move in a very thin free agency pool is what the Red Wings ended up doing. Yeah, I I can't say I'm surprised. This was the exact type of free agency I was expecting in the sense that it's damn near identical to last year. You know, couple longer-term commitments with a bunch of show-me contracts. You can almost draw, like, line-to-line comparisons. Cop to Comfer, Sherratt to Hole, Kubelik to Sprong, and so on and so forth. So, you know, Eisenman's trying to make this team incrementally better, not having the lottery luck, um, the a lot of prospects in the pipeline coming along, maybe a little slower than we would like, but at the pace that is most realistic. So, you know, he's he's doing what he can to improve this team. And in a weak free agency crop, there weren't a whole hell of a lot of options to improve this team. So, you know, Stevie did went out went out and signed the guys he thought that would improve the team that were willing to come to Detroit. Yeah. That's something that maybe we should probably lead with. Um, I heard from a couple people that uh, Detroit was having a little bit of trouble getting free agents to sign. Specifically who that I I couldn't nail down solidly. Uh, Elliot Friedman did report uh, shortly before we hit record here that uh, they were in on Michael Bunting. And that tracks with what I heard. And uh, Bunting was someone that they wanted to come over here. He ended up going to Carolina on, I think, a three-year deal. Um, and they weren't able to to land bunting, but I I'm sensing a little bit of a the Red Wings had to stretch a, just a little further to get that contract across the line for the guys that they did sign. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind, and we're gonna obviously chat about more uh, as this comes along. Let's start with the big signing here, the one that we said we were tracking for a little while, and it came in kind of as expected. Uh, JT Comfer. From Colorado, uh, unrestricted, unrestricted free agent, right shot center, natural centerman, uh, five-year deal for $5.1 million per year. So a $25.5 million contract total. Uh, he's 28 years old. Last season, he put up in a full 82-game season, 17 goals, 35 assists, and 52 points for Colorado. Uh, a large part of that season, 
by necessity because everyone on Colorado was hurt at some point. Uh, he was their second line center, and so he had a much bigger role than maybe he would have on an otherwise healthy Colorado team. But, I mean, that's probably a good reflection of the current Red Wings team in terms of talent. So JT Comfer, 5 by 5.1. That was the biggest contract handed out uh, for the day by Steve Eisenman. So initial thoughts and reactions on that one. I'm lukewarm on it. Um, I understand the need for a center and, you know, there weren't many on the market. So Eisenman went out and got one of the better ones. Probably a year or two too long, probably a million too expensive, but, you know, that might just be the Detroit tax going forward, um, which, you know, you have to do what you have to do to marginally improve this team. Um, I like Comfer's versatility. The fact that he's a right shot helps. His defensive game is excellent, and, you know, that's very much Detroit's identity right now. You know, shut him down, lock him down. We can't score any goals, so we're going to, you know, run through a wall to make sure you can't score any either, and Comfer is going to fit that to a T. Um, down the line, you know, as he ages and as, you know, Danielson and Casper start coming in for those center roles, he has the flexibility to play wing, and he's played both wings in his career. So depending what the Red Wings depth chart looks like in a few years, he can go wherever needed. So really, really like his versatility. It's probably worth mentioning. Uh, he had 52 points last year, but before that, his career high was 33. And he spent a very healthy chunk of this past season with Miko Rantanen on his wing, which this year he might have Robbie Fabry and Michael Rasmussen or something like that. So uh, much like... No, no Michael Rasmussen slander. Evan is... That's right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't realize we were equating so going him to Miko Rantanen at this he's point. He's going for a career year in points is what I'm saying. Michael Rasmussen, Miko Rantanen, we often get yeah. them confused. Yeah, understandably so. <laughs> Same I actually think they both get referred to as Moose, too. As We're just saying, have you seen just, them in the same room? I'm always, always wary of guys who play up, line, up the lineup because of injuries, get to play with players they've never got to play for before. They play on a really, really good team. They have one career year. And then they go to a weaker team. I expect Comfort to be very useful. I expect him to be very good. I expect him to be very versatile. And the Red Wings are going to use him and use him a lot. They're paying him to use him in a lot of ways. I will be genuinely surprised if he replicates that offense ever again in his career. Because, again, I think for the next couple of years, too, he's going to be good. But he's 28. I have concerns about the last year or two of this contract, and I have concerns about what the offensive upside is going to be. And we'll talk about it later, but, you know, it, it could create some compounding problems in a few years. With JT Comfer, first of all, they're just bringing in all of Dylan Larkin's teammates from Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> first cop, now Comfer. Uh, so the, the familiarity thing is actually good there. You know, you got rid of Larkin's best friend in Tyler Bertuzzi, before that, Anthony Manthan and Andreas Athanasiu. It's good to surround your core with guys who they're comfortable with. You don't just bring in your friends or a guy's friends to make him feel nice. No, you want to build a good hockey team. But like Brad said, Comfort's a good player. Don't get this twisted. Any criticisms of this contract cannot delete the fact that Comfort is a good player. Really, really strong defensive impacts and did produce in a an inflated, and you, you pointed out in a really nuanced way, but really well, Brad, in an inflated role with Colorado, but he still produced. I wouldn't expect, I agree, I wouldn't expect that 52 points again. But hey, if he gets it, great. If not, he's the right shot center that Detroit needed. They're not really banking on, you know, Casper being ready down the middle behind Larkin 
And, uh, you know, they're hoping for a better season from Cop. So what in the future we might see as Larkin, Danielson, uh, Casper as their, their center depth for now is going to have to be Larkin, Cop, uh, Comfer in whatever order. And then, you know, whoever else is flipping to center there, Valeno on the fourth line or whoever it might be. So with Comfer, I like that he's on the team. Like he's a, he's a versatile player. Like you mentioned, you can flip him to wing down the line. I think that's all exactly right. He's described as a really good athlete knows the team he's a good addition is the term what i would have wanted i honestly would say yeah just maybe a year a bit too long uh is the price what i would have wanted mm. for that kind of production probably a little bit more expensive than what i would have anticipated that said if you look at um evolving hockey's uh, contract projections they had him at a four-year deal for i think 5.696 it's worth mentioning, though, Evolving Hockey's is not an analytical assessment of what they are worth. It's that a is, predictive model. That is a predictive model of this is what we think he's going to get on the market. And they're usually really accurate because they take information based off of previous players, previous production versus what they ended up getting in free agency. So it sounds like the Red Wings you know, took a bit on the AAV to give him that extra year. So a little give and take there, which, you know, that's how negotiations work. That's fine. Yeah. Just so based on market, this is about what you have to expect. Uh, if you're the Red Wings trying to add a right shot center, who's going to be your number two slash three uh, center for the next few years, at least. So I think it's, uh, uh, it's not like the sexiest addition in the world. It doesn't fix the scoring problem. It doesn't fix the offense problem that the Red Wings have, but it speaks to a larger vision that Brad alluded to that we'll talk about in a little bit here that the Red Wings just need to get incrementally better, uh, a little bit tougher to play against, and just a little bit more solid overall. So, yeah, I I, I have no problem with the deal. The The term scared me at first, but then I was like, you know what? I, that's just, I think, the, the nature of dealing in free agency. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Red Wings center depth and now it's very okay is it league average i would say no um but it's not bottom of the league anymore no and i think the the key word that both of you have said is incremental improvement well that's two words but <laughs> is incremental um are the red wings better at center depth with jt comfer in the lineup yeah i would say so um you can debate the the contract uh term and cost as much as you want but yeah, I'm I'm not over the the moon about the signing, but I'm not down the dumps like like some people have been. It's just it's an okay signing. I think at the end of the day, and this is why I like that there was time between free agency and when we actually recorded the episode, is first it gave us all three of us a chance to breathe after the draft and Brad credit to you, you moved a family which includes a toddler and a 7 8 7 year old. Uh so yes, a chance to to take a minute but also a chance to just digest the move. So, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, Comfort makes the Red Wings a better team. The cap is about to go up. They have flexibility to come down the road, although maybe a little bit less now. This isn't, even if you have criticisms of the uh, the this contract specifically in any capacity, I think all that matters right now is that it does make this team better. And that's what it comes down to for me. The next deal is one that's going to be a lot more divisive, and I am perfectly happy to acknowledge that. Uh, but Justin Hall, of formerly of the Toronto Maple Leafs, was the uh, Red Wings' first solution for a, a defenseman to play on the right side. So a right shot defenseman, three years, $3.4 million per year, a $10.2 million contract total. Uh, Justin Hall, 
a divisive player. Uh, the last time we talked about him on this podcast was, uh, you know, at his expense, you know, making a joke that the Leafs won playoff games when he finally came out of the lineup. Um, is a guy who's probably thrust too much into the spotlight in Toronto. Probably had a little bit too heavy of assignments with uh, Sheldon Keefe at the helm, but this is Detroit's one of Detroit's solutions to get some kind of NHL level player behind Mo Sider on the right side. One of two, uh, maybe additions that they they added in free agency. So uh, before we we do our initial assessment, I asked uh, Steve Dangle of the Steve Dangle podcast what the honest take was on Hall, and he said, and I quote. Good numbers generally makes the right choice, completely loses his mind more often than anyone else on the roster, and is brainless, mistake-prone, super kind, funny, popular teammate, willing to scrap, and prone to streaks of solid play. So a little bit of a mixed bag there on Hall. Uh, last season with Toronto in 80 games, he put up two goals and 16 points, or 16 assists for 18 points. So this was a surprising one, and this is what I think set the tone for the day, which is wh- why a lot of a lot of people were a little bit iffy on free agency overall for Detroit. So honest assessment. Um, flashbacks of Brendan Smith on that uh, quote, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, you can always tell how a signing goes because uh, in the brief moments Twitter was working oh, a- God. after this signing, and without getting into Uncle Elon's uh, follies, but the actual response. This is the most. After this signing, the hour after the signing was the most toxic I've ever seen Red Wings Twitter. (laughs) And and I'm not even saying that to be funny. It was a genuinely miserable experience no matter what side of the fence you were on. You know, if you praised the signing, there was a legion of Red Wings fans coming at you. This guy's terrible. He's awful. What is wrong with you? How can you say that's good? And if you're like, you were critical of it, all the Eisenman truthers and the Eiser plan absolutists were out in full force going... You you doubt Iserman? How dare you doubt Iserman? He makes no mistakes. This is and and that side felt a little more prevalent, but it was just it was a truly miserable experience for uh, more reasons than just rate limits exceeded. Um, Which, by the way, we have six hundred words left on this episode before it just cuts off. Yeah, but so I don't like the signing. I understand the signing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Justin Hole is. Better than the Leafs memes give him credit for and the Leafs hysteria gives him credit for. He's not this hysterically bad, you know, almost comic book villain type of hockey player that he was made out to be by the Leafs, especially in the playoffs. And again, the prone to streaks of good play and then he gets, he negates it with just absolutely brain dead boneheaded moments that cost the Leafs games at points. Like his gap control off the rush is putrid. Um, he is a big body and he can defend the cycle pretty well like a Ben Schrott can. Uh, he's a bit of a better puck mover than Ben Schrott is. I'll give him that. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of the arguments that were coming back at me when I was being critical of it was, oh, yeah, but he's a depth defenseman. Like, you know, you don't need him to do a ton. Or, oh, yeah, you can always buy him out and trade him. And, you know, they had to get a right-handed defenseman and, you know, they weren't paying Gudis and maybe this guy or that guy didn't want to come here and this was the only option. Sure, to all of those, but every argument I got, every justification I got for why this was okay, not one of them included the phrase, Justin Hole is a good hockey player. And I don't want to be hard on the guy before he gets here. 
because I feel like we went through this exact same conversation with Ben Schrott last year. But this is one of those circumstances where if all your justifications revolve around any statement, but he's a good hockey player, it's not a good contract. And should this be okay? And is three years and three point something million that devastating? No, it's not. And we're going to get into a bigger picture conversation later in the episode about why it's not that big of a deal, but that comes with a much bigger problem, which we'll address. But I mean, yeah, he's a guy that you can put there. You're not wrong, but you don't give term and money to that guy. The argument of, well, they had to put someone there. Okay, that's fine. But the Red Wings would have been better off this very moment if they had just simply not signed the contract and done everything else exactly as they did. If you have to play Gustav Lindstrom in his spot for the whole year, is Gustav Lindstrom going to perform better than Justin Hole? No, probably not. But Gustav uh, Lindstrom is one year near league minimum. He does not tie up your cap for anything in the future. And do are the Red Wings planning on winning the cup this year? No. So is it really that big of a, you know, devastation if they don't plug that hole this year? It's irritating. Yes. And I understand Detroit is not the selling point that it used to be for free agents. So it's going to be tough, but sometimes simply not signing the contract is the better option. And again, I'm going to give hole every benefit of the doubt. Every time I'm critical of a signing, people jump on me. I hate this. I hate that. I'm rooting for the guy, especially, especially coming out of Toronto. Nobody deserves <laughs> the bullshit that Toronto fans and media put players through there, especially Justin Hole. I watched everything that he went through and man, I would love nothing more than him to come out in Detroit this year, have a solid season and just stick it to them. On top of being beneficial for Detroit, I want to see him stick it to Leafs fans. It would be phenomenal. I am very doubtful that is going to happen, though. You think he is what he is? I think he is what he is. Again, another the way someone else phrased it to me to describe Justin Hole um, was basically if he plays 30 shifts a game, 28 of them, he's going to be perfectly fine. He's going to make some good passes. He's going to you know stop a few cycles. He'll be absolutely what you want him to be. But those other two shifts are so bad and he does something so brainless it cancels out the other 28 shifts. Because he can be a perfectly capable defender for 28 shifts and you're winning the game 2-1 in those shifts and then he causes two goals against in those other two shifts you lose 3-2. Kind of kind of like thought process. So, you know, we went through this with Brendan Smith. Yeah, like, it's very big shades of Brendan Smith. So, I'm hoping... Whatever causes causes those mental lapses gets worked through because if he can, because that is his biggest problem is the mental lapses. We can nitpick gap control off the rush, but the mental lapses are his biggest issue. If whatever causes them, he can work through. We have a perfectly okay defender. Still not worth that contract, but something you can absolutely stomach for that price. But that is a really damn big if. Yeah, the 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 point you made there, which is, this seems to be maybe where Detroit's Detroit tax really stuck them is that's my suspicion suspicion this free agency. They felt that they needed something on the right side. So you, Brad, are saying you would have preferred in this case to just not sign the contract. Very evidently, Detroit felt they needed to add something on the right side. I think I, I lean more towards I think they needed to add something. I don't think you could have put Gus Lindstrom there for another year. That was tragic. I 
There are a couple other options. For example, uh, Susie is a player I would have loved to have brought in. He has played both sides of defense. Uh, before we started talking, Evan, you mentioned Shattenkirk was a guy who came in real cheap. I understand these aren't exactly like world beaters that I'm talking about. Uh, Connor Clifton, Radko Gudis. Of all the contracts that were signed in this range, but Justin Hole is by far the weakest player of that group. And this is where my suspicion, again, I couldn't confirm the details, but my suspicion is Detroit would have also pref- have preferred to do make some other moves here, and this is just what they could make work. It was what was left, and I that is also the impression I get. And, you know, the unfortunate reality of the situation is the Red Wings have been awful for seven years. So from a winning competitive standpoint, they're not an attractive destination for free agencies. As players get more control as time goes on, you know, this isn't a good weather locale. So if a, if a player wants to go to a game in shorts and flip-flops, you know, Detroit ain't Florida. Detroit ain't California. And as the younger genera- the younger players start coming through, it, it means a lot to us. But to players who are coming into the league now, the original six mean thing means shit to like 80% of them. They don't care. It makes us feel old, man. I know. And it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. So the reality is until the Red Wings are good, they're going to have a real hard time pulling free agents because – what is the appeal right now? We all go to Detroit. We all love the city. We all know it's way better than the reputation gets. But that reputation's still out there. The players know that reputation. The players hear that reputation. A few of them get by it and, you know, sign and they'll come and whatever. Other players will be like, I'll come, but you're going to pay me a bit of a premium. Otherwise, I'm going to this similarly awful team in California, you know, hypothetically. So it's the reality of the situation, which is why there's going to be a lot of hard conversations about, okay, it's okay to just not sign the contract, right? Or, you know, and then the irony of all this, and we'll get into it, is they signed a guy who can play the right side literally later that day. So, you know, it is what it is. With Justin Hall, like you mentioned, Brad, right shot, a big body to play against, and Steve mentioned this too, not afraid to get physical. Detroit, among a lot of other things they're saying if we can't add the talent that's hard to find if we, if we can't add the scoring that's hard to find we at least want to be harder to play against in general aside from the the mistakes does add positive defensive impacts it is hard to play against is that big body that the red wings love so you know what does success look like for the hall contract is he comes in he's not assigned impossible assignments against other other teams top line he fills with an NHL body, that right side of defense on a second or third pair, and he's able to just stabilize that until the rest of the prospect pipeline is filled out and comes through. So, And don't get beat up by Ryan Nugent Hopkins again. <laughs> don't get beat up by people named Ryan. That's it's a, right. It's a bad move. You can't come back from that. Overall impressions uh, from for the Hall signing for you, Evan? Well, the last time the Leafs... Where had had a whipping boy and he came to Detroit. I think that was Larry Murphy. So maybe this will work out really well. Justin Hall's going to the Hall of Fame. I didn't even think about that. Maybe That's this will work point. out exceptionally well. <laughs> what did the Leafs? I, don't, I, I have a mixed uh, a bag of what Leafs fans thought when Cujo came to the Red Wings. I honestly, yeah. they were mad. Yeah, they were. Right? They were real mad. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, so overall, I. I ultimately, I agree with you, Brad. That contract came through. Surprised by the player, first of all, because that one you know, came out of left field for me. And uh, I didn't like the deal just in terms of the, the money specifically. I thought that wasn't really what he'd be worth in terms of cap space. But again, three years, is it the worst? No. 
is a good no in my mind. And like you said, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt until you see otherwise. If he is deployed in that depth capacity that I was just mentioned, which obviously he's not going to be the first pairing defender, then there's a really good shot in my mind that this isn't as highlighted as it was in Toronto. Everything out of Toronto is just, everything in Toronto, I should say, is tuned up to a million degrees or decibels or whatever. But yeah, that was uh, that was the one that divided people quite a bit. Why don't we talk about uh, a little bit more of a positive signing, Daniel Sprong. And this is one where I would have classified this as I really would love Detroit to do it, but I don't think that they're going to be the winning landing spot because I think he'll have a lot of competition. But lo and behold, the Red Wings signed Daniel Sprong uh, one year, two million dollars and the reason that's a big deal is daniel sprung played less than an 11 11 and a half minutes per night with seattle last season less than 11 and a half minutes per night only 66 games and still put up 21 goals 25 assists this is legitimate talented scoring that detroit just added for two million bucks for one season yeah it's only one season but this was comfortably the best contract they signed of the day i this was the one contract where i actually sat back when i saw it was signed and went I wish there would have been more term on that. Yeah. But I bet I, that's a Sprong thing. No, this is a thousand percent a Daniel Sprong thing. There was a lot of one-year deals signed this weekend in the NHL, and that is because players know the salary cap is jumping by four or five million dollars next year, um, which isn't as big of an impact as people think it's going to be, it seems. It's like one Justin Hall. Yeah. But uh, but players are do know that that just mentally will free up teams a little bit more to do some things and a handful of players will cash out. And Daniel Sprong seems like a pretty good candidate to be one of those guys because he's not going to be playing with the same level of talent uh, in Detroit that he did in Seattle, but he's going to get a bigger role in Detroit than he did in Seattle, which means more ice time, more opportunities, more power play time. So I, I could see Daniel Sprong absolutely replicating what he did in Seattle and you know, this goes one of two ways where he either has a really, really good season for Detroit, scores a bunch of goals and, uh, you know, helps Detroit for a playoff push down the stretch, maybe even get into a playoff spot, or it's a repeat of last year, but you'll get a pretty good return for him at the deadline because, you know, he's pending UFA. So we know how that story goes every February and March for the last seven years. But I digress. But yeah, no, this is, this is the type of gamble the Red Wings should be making lots of over the next few years. Um, and Sprong seems like the perfect one given that Detroit can't score a goal to save their lives. So they get a guy who can very naturally score goals. Yeah. The, the, that kind of efficient goal scoring again, that's something that's sought after across the league and Daniel Sprong gets not a ton of attention, but Seattle got a lot of attention. So I, I, I'm surprised that more GMs weren't in on it for that price. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other GMs went. One year, two million. If that's all it was going to take, then we should have just been on that more. Yeah, that is absolutely the the kind of ad that the Red Wings needed. I know it's just a one-year deal, but I think this is going to be a, a sneaky good ad that could define the entire free agency class and and help Detroit in a big way over the course of the year. And he's young, right? Like, he still has a lot of years ahead of him. He is uh, from the Netherlands, by the way, born in Amsterdam. In case Great you city. Know. Yeah, awesome city. He's uh, 26 years old. So if he does well and he sticks and Detroit has cap space, then that's someone that they can keep longer term. Again, this just boils down to uh, uh, the type of talent that they, that Detroit desperately needed. Not a lot of it, if at all, was available on the market. And Detroit was able to tap one of the very, very, very few sources of that kind of scoring. So this is the major win for Steve Eisenman in my books. Yeah, it was a tidy piece of business. I, 
I don't know how you could not like this one. This is the, this is my favorite contract of the day. And he's going to have more opportunity than 11 and a half minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he still leaves a little to be desired in the 200 foot game. But if you put him in that classic quote unquote, Thomas Vanek role, lots of, uh, third line minutes, lots of power play time. Oh yeah. He can, he can absolutely pop off again. And, you know, for if you don't really like that every other, if not more, Red Wings addition to the team seems to be a player who's a little bit limited offensively but can do a lot in the 200-foot game, having a lot of those guys shelters the Daniel Sprongs and allows them to do their thing. So, yep, that was a a great contract, undeniably a great contract. Uh, Another one that was pretty popular and one that surprised me, uh, Shane Gostisbehere. That one kind of came, the buzz around that came late in the day. by the time you know any news came out on that, it was actually officially reported. Uh, this is a guy who plays both sides of defense, played a good chunk of last year uh, as a right defenseman, which is notable even though he shoots left. Uh, Shane Gostisbehere, one year, $4.125 million. Uh, again, just a one-year deal, but Detroit has found themselves a, a player who's probably going to be their power play quarterback or at least contribute heavily on the power play. Uh, I think put up 41 points last season between Arizona and Carolina. It's a short-term deal, but one that I think is a healthy addition for some production uh, from the blue line. And again, adds NHL-level talent on the right side if they choose to play him there behind Mo Sider. Yeah, him and Ben Schrock can both flip to the right side, so they'll probably experiment with both and just see what they like more. But yeah, again, getting back to the point of the Red Wings can't score goals, and we talked about it a lot around the Axel Sandin Pelica pick is, yeah, well, the Red Wings also didn't get much offense at all from their blue line. So getting someone like Goss is going to really, really help with that because he can run the first power play unit. Sider can run the second power play unit. You know, at even strength, they have now more than just Sider and Wallman contributing anything offensively which would be a huge win. Um, you know, n- not a perfect defender, but when you're over a half a point per game, you can you can be forgiven for some defensive mistakes that, you know, ideally he'll work on. It It is what it is. He provides offense and flexibility, two things that are going to be super critical to the Red Wings' uh, blue line this year. I had someone who's very, very, very familiar with the Flyers and someone who's very, very, very familiar with the Coyotes' uh both message me at the same time and say, you're going to love Shane Goss to spare. That was a great ad. So, and again, risk-free contract one year, the cap hit legitimately doesn't matter. Either helps with a playoff run or is an asset at the deadline. Yeah. You know, if he has a good season and you don't think he's going to come back to Detroit the following year, you can trade him at the trade deadline, you know, retain some salary because it literally doesn't matter and pick up some assets for the draft or, or what have you. So, I, I, this was my second favorite signing of the day. So, um, same. This is a a much needed piece of the puzzle. Uh, we'll see if that's a short term answer or a long term one. And uh, another signing that came in. This was a one of the uh, few signings that came in longer than a year. Clem Costin, uh, two years, two million dollars per year, is a little bit funny because as the Red Wings qualifying offers came out, and again, a qualifying offer basically means that you retain the rights for your restricted your restricted free agents or RFAs, as you'll hear them uh, referred to. Costin uh, wasn't on that list. Uh, neither was Gustav Lindstrom, and both ended up being signed as free agents still. So, uh, unrestricted free agents. So, Clem Costin came in uh, two years. $4 million total, $2 million AAV. He was part of the uh, cap dump from Edmonton, 
uh, wherein Detroit took on the Yamamoto and Costin contracts or Costin's rights in Yamamoto's contract. Yamamoto got bought out. We'll talk about that later. But overall thoughts on uh, two by two for Clint Costin. I like it. Um, one of the big things about you know the Red Wings last year, we talked about how soft they were as a team uh, overall, and Costin helps that because he plays with a ton of sandpaper and. Uh, unlike a lot of players on the Red Wings, is very eager to punch other players in the face. <laughs> but he does not come simply because of that because this is a guy who actually has a bit of offensive touch. So he's a guy you can plug into your bottom six. He can play that that role, but he'll still be able to chip in 30, 35 points, you know, 15-ish goals in a season, which is, again, Eisenman keeps preaching this goals by committee. And if he can't land, you know, the superstar goal score, it's not bad to stockpile a few guys like this who can provide some secondary offense and who can provide in a role that the Red Wings were very sorely lacking in last year. Yeah. You look at kind of the players who are uh, in a bottom six role, and that's because they can't crack, crack the top six. And the way you perceive those players is a lot different. See one Philip Zadina, really difficult to watch him not be able to move up the lineup. But then there's players who are meant for the bottom six and genuinely help your team from the bottom six. And no, I don't think a role player down there is good every time, but when they're a, a Costin type, I think it's actually pronounced clean Costin. It's understandable why he's such a fan favorite and why Eisenman was practically giddy when he was talking about him. So tough to play against can add a reasonable amount of production from uh, the, the bottom of your lineup and energizes the team, solidifies the lineup, just makes your team a little bit more annoying to play against. Came at a low cost, probably an overpay based on the AAV, but when you're talking about, you know, 1.5 or 1.75 versus $2 million, that's fine over a two-year deal. So, yeah, I like the addition. Apparently, he's a really good locker room guy too, so uh, you, you need some of those guys, especially if the losses start to pile up. It'll be nice to see some actual, someone who enjoys being tough and, uh, can back his teammates up out on the ice. So that was uh, Costin, and again, we'll get to Yamamoto in a little bit. Let's talk about the solution to Alex Nedeljkovic and uh, uh, Magnus Helberg, both of whom were signed by Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh. Funny enough, both Red Wings backup goalies from last year ended up going to Pennsylvania. So After they gave Tristan Jari a bag. Yeah. So, you know, c- concerns if you're a Penguins fan right now. Yeah, Look, first of all, I, I want to say we've had Ned on the pod a couple times. He's a great guy on and off the ice. Everyone can see that. Very, very popular and for good reason. And honestly, super talented goalie. Like the skill is there. He just has to find consistency. I've seen goalies who have been talented not find their consistency until later in their career. So uh, if he can do that in Pittsburgh, then that's incredible. And I'm pulling for him. And Helberg too, uh, known as an awesome dude as well. So uh, good for both of them. They found a new landing spot. I wish them all the best. Uh, the Red Wings found their own solutions, and they went for, you know, they replaced two with two. Even though they have Billy Huso as their starting goalie, they added both Alex Lyon, 30-year-old goalie, on a two-year contract for $900,000 uh, per year, so $1.8 million total, and also uh, added James Reimer, uh, 35-year-old, one year, $1.5 million. So uh, by committee, it looks like there's going to be a little bit of competition behind Huso, which I think is good. Uh, let's t- start with uh, Reimer here. He played on a bad San Jose team and is definitely not at the height of his career. 
he had, I think, 40, yeah, 43 games, put up an 890 save percentage and 3.48 goals against average. So not good numbers. Uh, the team's not good over there. Uh, but he used to be a much better goalie than he is now. So that's just uh, another option and a veteran depth behind Huso and someone to compete with Lyon. Yeah, uh, competition, you know, breeds success. And as long as he can keep himself from being a distraction off the ice, you know, he he should be a pretty good insurance policy on the ice. And with Alex Lyon, really impressive numbers last year, actually. Uh, only a limited amount of games with Florida, but helped them a lot. He went supernova to get them into the playoffs. The Florida Panthers don't make the cup finals if Alex Lyon doesn't do what he did in the uh, regular season. Yep. 15 games, 914 save percentage, and a 282 uh, goals against average. Uh, again, 30 years old, so not exactly you know a youngin. Swaps between the NHL and the AHL for most of his career, but this one I think could be a sneaky good ad for Detroit. Yeah, less than a million dollars, two-year term. Has shown he has the talent to be very good. Now he's 30, so I'm not expecting him to become you know, a star overnight. Uh, what the Red Wings really need between pro- pro- probably Lion mostly, but obviously Reimer might get in there a little bit, is they need these guys to give them 30 quality games. Yeah. Because Huso can't play 55, 60 games again. He can't. He needs to play 40 to 50 games. So they need, you know, whether that's just one of Lion or Reimer taking the Lion's share of the backup duty and you know, giving Huso the break he needs or providing an insurance policy if Huso gets hurt again because then they have two NHL-capable goalies, albeit not great, but, like, you only need one of them to be feeling it this year because hopefully Huso stays healthy and he can take the majority of the games and these guys make it easy for him. Yeah, I I don't want to say they just did the exact same as having Ned and Helberg, but it's essentially the same gambit. Neither of them are guaranteed... One's younger, a little bit more talented, has done more, uh, both a limited sample size last season, and one has been around the block. Um, that So that's a little bit new with Reimer. Uh, goes back with, uh, I think, what they had with you know Grice and other goaltenders. And But yeah, if they can make it so Huso isn't playing game 62 and absolutely burnt out and falling apart at the seams, then that's a win. I don't think anyone's expecting Vesna candidate seasons from either of them, but as long as the competition breeds some kind of solid support, even if it swaps over the course of the year, then that'll see itself shake out. And it's low impact, right? If one of them, uh, you know, gets waived or goes down or whatever, then it doesn't really matter with the size of their contracts. Yeah, neither of them cost really anything. Okay, uh, next signing here in terms of a, a depth signing, Christian Fisher out of Arizona, a 26-year-old winger on a one-year $1.125 million contract. This is also one that I, I heard that the Reddings were interested in, but came a little bit later in the game. Um, word about it was um, kind of out there all day before the, the signing was actually confirmed. But again, another short-term deal. And this is another depth player that the Red Wings brought in. Folks from Arizona really, really, really love this guy and are uh, actually pretty disappointed that he's he's left the Coyotes. So... Uh, this seems to be another, you know, character on and off the ice uh, quality guy that the Red Wings have brought in. Now, this is a guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. S- sound the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> that That's my analysis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Christian Fisher is not, you know, he's not a world beater. He's not the solution to scoring. He's not a, a top six player. Last year with Arizona, played 80 games, 13 goals, 14 assists. 
perfectly fine production, I think, from the back end, but his defensive impacts, his physical impacts are uh, more about why he was brought in. Uh, bigger body to play against, 6'2", 215, so uh, fits the mold of what, you know, the Red Wings want in their depth. Whether he's in the lineup every day or he's one of those the guys fighting for the 13th forward spot that w- remains to be seen, but um, incredibly popular player with, uh, with Coyotes fans. Defense first, high compete, can't score. Yeah, yeah, this sounds like a Red Wing already. Hey, don't 13 goals would be higher up on the Red Wings goal scoring list than uh, than a lot of folks would want to think about. Oh, I'm aware, Ryan. <laughs> oh, I'm aware. Incremental improvements. Yeah. Our our fourth line players are going from 11 goals to 13 goals. We're we're moving up in the world. Heart and soul guy, one year, one point one two five million dollars. Yeah, it's fine. He's a guy. He's a guy. He's a guy. And uh, that's the the last of the Red Wings significant or, you know, call it major signings. Um, other we signings. signed a guy named Brogan. I just, we just, I don't know anything about him, but we just need to call attention. They signed a guy named Brogan. He's chill. Uh, Matt Luff, two-way deal, one year, 775000 Gustav Lindstrom, uh, one-year contract, one-way deal, 950000 to kind of stay in that seventh defenseman-ish range, I'm sure. Uh, Tim Gettinger. Again, that's another two-way deal, 775000 Brogan Rafferty is Brad Love's uh, two-year, 775000 AAV. That's another two-way deal. And then uh, Nolan Stevens, another two-way deal, one-year, 775000 to round out the signings for now. So, again, like I mentioned before, I am happy that there was some, some time to digest and understand the overall uh, vision if you want to call it that, of, of this free agency. And we did hear from Eisman in his press conference after. But what were your, what are your thoughts now? Your digested, your digested, formed, you know, cleaned up, polished thoughts overall on the free agency pool and what this informs on for what's to come for the Red Wings. Oh, man. I Do hope- you like a little bit better last year? Boy, do I have a team for you. <laughs> Boy. You have to stop spe- spoiling your uh, September Red Wings preview. I know. Event. I'm just teasing it right now. Yeah, yeah. I hope Elon crushes Twitter tomorrow. Um, so overall, if I look at this in a bubble, it's fine. You know, love the Sprong gamble. Love the Goss gamble. Costin's a great get. Um, Fisher's a guy. Comfer's an improvement. Hole is... Hole. Uh <laughs> What I'm starting to get concerned with is what's the overall plan here? Because, you know, we've talked about the Iser plan being patience and he's had no lottery luck. And I I don't think he's a poor evaluator of talent because this is two summers in a row with what I would call four overinflated contracts. Because, you know, let's flash back to last summer when we're sitting here on the same episode, this roughly the same time of year. Going, okay, Andrew Kopp probably overexceeded his expectations because of where he was playing and the role he was in, but he's still a useful player. Ben Sherratt is not as good as, you know, the hockey world thinks he is, and that is probably not a good contract, but here's the reasons it might be good. And then the season comes, the season goes, and obviously there were some extenuating circumstances here, but Andrew Kopp plays largely well, but not to the extent he did the year before, and Ben Sherratt's an utter disaster. That is honest to God my exact prediction of what's going to happen to Confer and Hole this year. Yeah, Confer 
probably not worth the contract, but still proves to be a useful, good player. Justin Hole's probably going to be terrible. And anything above that I'll take as a win. Because, um, you know, th- we went through this the last year. This is damn near a mirror image of each other. And some of these solid bets last year, it was Perron and Kubelik. They paid off well. Goss and uh, Sprong, I bet, will pay off well. Like, we're we're in the same offseason. But here's the issue I have with the Comfort Cop Sherratt hole. In, you know, hole is three years. Sherratt's got three years left. Cop has four years left. Comfort's obviously starting five years. So three seasons from now, in the middle of that season, you're going to be p- paying a well past their prime hole, Sherratt, Cop, and Comfort about $18 million in the cap. That's three seasons from now. I don't know about you guys. I expect the Red Wings to be competing in that season. I We can't be in this position again. Which means you would hope there's going to be some more acquisitions, some more improvements, more than a little incremental improvement. Now, the formula the Red Wings have to prey on right now, and it's really their only hope, is that almost all of their key draft picks in recent years hit. You know, I, I put in the group chat the, okay, take as many players in the Red Wings system right now and slot them into the lineup where you think they could play if the Red Wings were to win a cup and what gaps does that leave? Comfort was the only one who was on that projection. So now we're going past three years. We're going well past three years. I, I shared it with uh, Max and Prashant as well. And the first thing Prashant said was, this is about right or whatever, but yeah, this would be four to five years out. So the timeline of the rebuild, we're g- it's going to be over 10 years. And sure, the Red Wings might be competing for a playoff spot this year. I don't think they're making the playoffs with this roster. This could all be moot tomorrow. They could trade for DeBrinket, sign Tarasenko. This is a whole different team. But as of right now, this isn't a playoff team. Sure, they're going to probably compete deeper into the season than they did last year. And last year was a really good step forward because they were in a playoff spot in February before the wheels fell off the bus. So maybe that's March or even April this year. But again, I don't think it's a playoff team. I don't think they're better than Buffalo, Boston, Tampa, Toronto, uh, even Florida. So are these guys expected to help this team compete or are these guys stop gaps? And I think the ultimate conclusion here is I think they're stop gaps. And I think Eisenman knows that. And I think like you alluded to, especially on the whole contract, it's the Detroit tax. Steve might not have another option. And this team has to improve. They can't go backwards at this point. They can't. No. So now they their biggest risk as a franchise is becoming that 15-year stretch of the Minnesota Wild. They're going to finish 7th to 10th every year. They're going to get stuck in the mushy middle. Unless Danielson, Sandy Pelica, Casper, Mazer, like two or three of these guys massively exceed expectations. They're in a tough spot right now. They're in a real tough spot right now. So if you are of the mindset where I think I'm at right now, where they just have to get a little bit better each year until four or five years out when Cider, Raymond are in their prime, Danielson, Casper, Mazer, Edvinson are all contributing regularly. Hopefully Kosa or Augustine is there. But the entire future of this team now is tied into their prospects because it's not in the free agents. If anything, the big four free agents the last two summers are going to be a hindrance when this team really hopes to turn a corner. Or guys who have been dealt or whatever. Exactly. And a lot of people are saying, okay, yeah, well, you don't have to ride out all the years of this contract. And if you're already talking about trading a contract the day it was signed, it's a bad contract. But buyouts are an option. 
you know, holes, not a ton of money. If you have to buy out the last year, fine. Ben Sherrod, if you have to buy out the last year, fine. You know, you can always pull a, a, you know, trade an asset and a bad contract for nothing thing. The Red Wings are flush with picks and prospects. That's very much an option. But I think my ultimate takeaway here is, yeah, we're, we're still in this shit for a while. And I don't really see the way out short of a couple staggering moves. But Eisenman just ate up a huge amount of the cap for those moves. Because it's easy to look at this upcoming season and go, they still have a ton of cap space. Even after those contracts, they have like $9, $10 million in cap space. They're, they're, they're not up to the cap. How much money do you think Saturn and Raymond are getting next summer? It's a hell of a lot more than 10 million combined. You know, I Cider's going to probably get at least nine. Raymond's going to get probably around seven. So that's 16 mil a cap. And all four of these contracts are still going to be on the books. Yeah, you can free up some cap space because you won't have Goss to spare, Sprong, Kubalik, Perron anymore. Those are the guys that are probably be contributing more than these four this year. Those are the guys you don't want to lose. I want to keep Kubalik around. I want to keep Perron around if he can keep going. I feel like I'm going to want to keep Goss and Sprong around. And they're running out of cap room. So yeah, in the short term, these contracts don't look bad. They look largely irrelevant. But either A, Eisenman's really kicking this down the road because that's the only option. And these are stop gaps. In which case, this timeline is worrisome. Because we thought we'd be getting out of it soon. Or uh, he's got something else up his sleeve and he's going to work some cap gymnastics because he's putting himself up against it. Yeah, I view this largely what you mentioned, Brad, as... This is Eisenman calling it for what it is. This is what he can do to make the team better now, which isn't a lot better, but better in ways. He plugged some holes. He he did some things at right D. He did some things with backup goalie. A little bit on offense, a little bit for offense from the back end, but he knows and he acknowledged the scoring still needs to happen. The faith is right now in the prospects and the players on the team right now improving. Larkin is is producing as I think what you can expect from Larkin. You're, he's not going to take another big leap. There needs to be a big jump from Lucas Raymond. They've been very clear about that. They're hoping for for more from uh, Berggren as well. And and I think you can expect that from Berggren based on what he was able to produce in a limited role. Valeno, Cider, you can go down and you can ex- expect more 100% and you should. But it's this isn't going to be solved by free agency. I do think this is going to be this is a roster that's going to be actively managed and tinkered with. Like you pay now and and you maybe take your medicine later through a buyout or trading or or giving up an asset to get rid of the last year of a contract of like a fourth round pick or whatever. That's all stuff that you can't do, which isn't very attractive to to think about, but it's also something that the Red Wings haven't had to do because they haven't been a team that's been trying to make moves. That's all stuff that I, I'm sure Eisenman knows or that Eisenman is banking on knowing he'll have to do down the line. And that's I have no problem with that. But it is a little admittedly bleak until you get to that point, until you see a Debrinket, until you see maybe a short-term Tarasenko, until you see, you know, a home run swing, you trade for William Nylander and you get him on a reasonable contract. Whatever hypothetical you want to work with, there's going to have to be other things that happen if this team's going to be competitive anytime soon at all. Do I think this free agency crop made this team better? Yeah, I do. I do. And I don't really like the Hall signing, but I can understand why having any NHL body on the back end on the right side is better than, you know, Gustav Lindstrom or whatever they were working with last year. I think Goss Despair is great. I really like, I think 
Sprong was a really efficient signing. I like JT Comfort, the player, a lot, and I thought that even before free agency. So, yeah, contracts aside, which is a big statement, I do think the team is better. I share the same concerns, though, Brad, in terms of the long-term cap usage. It is, it's not promising, but I do think it's workable. But I, I, I want to call that for what it is. That is not a solution. Saying this is something that's going to have to be dealt with, coupled with a major move to to solve the scoring, and then banking all of that, banking on your prospects all turning out in a big way. That's a lot of things that need to happen between now and then. So the, this is a Red Wings team who's moving in the right direction. The speed at which it's moving, whether that's by necessity or because you know certain moves are aren't being made, is slow, slower than than what fans would want, and it it doesn't look to be accelerating at a generous pace right now. Yeah, for me, it's abundantly clear that the prospects aren't progressing at a, an exponential level. Not to say that it's all on them or anything like that, or there was higher expectations. Like, prospects take time. Um, but it kind of is all on them when you look at the future of the team. Uh, well, it's uh, on the team, too. they got to develop yeah, their prospects. Yeah, 100%. So I think I agree with what you guys said. It, it, the the acquisitions they made on July 1 makes this team better today. You know, I what what I kind of see is, you know, let the prospects continue to develop. Hope to God some surpass their projected ceiling or what, whatever you want to call it, and they become elite to superstar level talents. Um, hope a couple late picks turn into superstar elite level talents. And maybe that's when you take some of all these prospects, all these players, and and some picks, and that's when you put the the pedal down and really start going for it. You know, maybe the trades for elite talent just weren't there. The clearly free agent, the elite talent was not really there. But fans don't really care. Uh, most fans don't really care about the five year picture. They care about what are we going to do next year. And I know that. People are probably rolling their eyes, but anyone who listens to a Red Wings podcast is probably a diehard fan, and they're the only people thinking five years. The people who go to a game on a Friday because they just got tickets from someone at work, they don't care about the five-year plan. They just want to see a team that's half decent. So I think the short term, the team is better than they were last year, but it's not saying a whole lot. So it's a couple... That point, too, is interesting to me because... There's two ways to look at this, and the team is definitely, 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 definitely better than they were last season. But the one point I kind of will make is they are definitely not better than they were last preseason because we were expecting about 70 goals between Verona and Bertuzzi, and both those guys absolutely shit the better were injured for up all to, the year. Up yeah. to, but. It was if they had great seasons, that would have been very well within the realm of possibility. Exactly. So we were sitting there projecting the Red Wings to maybe be a fringe playoff team when we were expecting, I will say, at least thirty goals from each of them. Yeah, and that didn't even come close to happening for obviously a myriad of reasons out of you know team control. They still had Philip Hronik at that point. You know, Comfer is not Bertuzzi. <laughs> Hole is not Hronik. You know, obviously it was still a good trade seeing what they got from the Hronik Hall, but this team is not as good on paper going into this season as they were on paper going into last season. Now, given the circumstances of the season and we saw what actual roster transpired for the Red Wings yesterday, yes, I expect improvements. But, you know, we also talked about, and Evan brought it up, and 
the timeline for this upcoming season, yes, there's improvements. And if you're looking at it in an extremely short, uh, you know, tunnel, okay, you're happy with this offseason. I laid out all my concerns for the future. And, you know, we talk about Debrinket, and I've, and as much as I would love to see her and go, Debrinket's exactly what the Red Wings need. He's one of the few big free agents who might actually have Detroit on his preferred destination list. So maybe you have to pay a bit of a premium just to ensure that happens. Maybe Stevie waits. Maybe the trade isn't there and he's like, I'll just screw it. You don't want to take my price. I'll wait and sign him in free agency next year, Yeah, which runs the risk of what happened with Montreal and Dubois where, hey, yep. time changes things. But this also means if we're looking at the bleak timeline and the concern of, yeah, I don't think this team's going much of anywhere in the next three years. That does buy time to acquire that premium yep. position. If Eisenman thinks in a year or two he can do better than Debrinket, I will argue he is at least two or three Debrinket level players away. There's player elite but, talent that materializes every sort of offseason or exactly. every trade deadline that you never thought would become available. I, I can't even think of someone off the top of my head where it's like, what if they just don't want to play there anymore? Yeah, nobody expected to uh, Debrinket to be in this position yeah. this summer. Everybody thought when Ottawa traded for him, he was going to be in Ottawa for you know the next eight, nine years. So this is a rare opportunity that presented itself that I will say, I still wish Steve would be a little more aggressive on this mm-hmm. because again, the Detroit tax, you have a hometown boy willing to come here who's a legitimate goal scorer, but that's another longer conversation. Eisman has another off season, two off seasons, three off seasons to go out and make that, you know, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone type trade. And the Red Wings have the stockpile to be able to do it. The Red Wings asset wise could trade for almost anybody in the league. They have so effing much that they could give up multiple first round picks, top prospects, whatever they, they can make these deals if they want comfortably. Cause they have the depth to do it. Hear me out. Trade for Tyler Bertuzzi. <laughs> Why? Sign him in free agency next year again. <laughs> so we can go through a whole nother season of playing that hypothetical again, guys, he doesn't want to sign here or else he would have signed here. So yeah, I don't, I don't know who those players are going to be. We, nobody knows who those players are going to be. You know, I, I think he's two or three Alex the level players away minimum. Um, what, I think like uh, hypothetically, what if the William Nylander thing doesn't happen? He's like, well, there's lots of Swedes in Detroit. I'll go play there. hundred percent. Yeah. There you go. Something materializes out of nothing. Yeah. And again, it's going to be that tricky situation of, do you sign hit sign and trade now? Or do you just wait for free agency? Given what the Leafs will probably ask for Nylander, you probably better off waiting for free agency. But again, I'm skeptical Detroit would be on his preferred list of destinations, but again, cap space matters. Either way, my ultimate point being Iserman is realistic about where this team's going. So that gives him the luxury of time. However, if you are going to maximize this time and you are planning on a Eichel or stone type of trade, make damn sure you have the cap space to pull it off when it's there and stop signing the fricking Ben Schrott's and the Justin holes of the world. One other thing that I'll add to that, those very good points is I am one thing that I mentioned actually when the Shane Gosses Bear signing specifically came through is I, you know, I like the deal. I like Shane Gosses Bear, the player. I've wanted him in Detroit for some time, but what does this mean for Detroit's prospects? Because yes, Simon Edvinson is could be ready in September, or it could be November, depending on how recovery from his shoulder surgery goes. Uh, he's not going to come in with a full off season of training, getting stronger, bigger, faster, whatever. But he is now a little bit blocked from the lineup. 
Marco Casper, if he was to make this team full-time, he still could do it. He's going to have to really force his way. He also has Elmer Soderblom and Carter Mazur wanting to do that. Soderblom, who made the team out of camp last year, and that you know, it stands to reason that he'll have a lot better of an opportunity this year to really make it stick. Carter Mazur would be a longer shot. You know, we had him on the podcast. He watches games in the AHL, you know, just a couple of them there. And But the way he played in college hockey, that's a guy who I could very well see making noise in camp as well. There's nothing wrong with sending those guys to to Grand Rapids and saying, yeah, Grand Rapids, you are going to have a lot of help from players who maybe could make an NHL roster now. But, you know, we just got done talking about how important production from your younger players is uh, for the Red Wings' advancement. So injuries happen. You know, camp has a way of shaking out roster spots. Eisenman has proven time and time again that he will give a roster spot to a guy who earns it. He's not afraid to wave anybody. No. Christian Fisher <laughs> could get waved. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm just saying there isn't a free pass. It's not a surprise. Eisenman has kind of done this every year. He's bred the competition and players have still broken through. But this does look like a pretty significant wall ahead of a pretty significant list of guys trying to break in. I'm not even talking about... Uh, the Wallenders or the Johansons of the world either. We're going to start the conversation if Simon Edmondson makes the team. Well, do you want him playing six minutes or do you want him playing 20 minutes down in Grand Rapids? I already see this conversation happening. All right, this is a very nuanced problem. So I'll I'll address Edmondson specifically first since I think that's probably the most linear path that we can uh, figure out. He's coming back from shoulder surgery. You probably don't want him as a rookie going straight into the NHL, fresh yeah. off an injury, getting overwhelmed, yada, yada, yada. So a bit of time in Grand Rapids just to kind of get the rhythm back is probably best for Edvinson, no matter where his skill set is uh, at the start of this season. And if he's having a monster start in Grand Rapids, yeah, you you kick a, you know, a hole, a Lindstrom, a Sherratt, a Mata, a who the hell ever off the team in a heartbeat to make space for him and you sh- throw them in the press box. Scratch them, yeah. Yeah, who cares? The overall thing here is, again, with what the bleak, realistic timeline of this team looks like, again, allows you the luxury of time. You don't have to rush a Casper. You don't have to rush a Mazer. In fact, there's now probably a lot of benefit to kicking their ELCs down the road. You know, as fair or unfair that it, as that is, you know, in that three in that third season of the Justin Hole contract, where you're going to have an aging Comfort Cop and Trot all taking up an ass ton of your cap space, yeah, it's probably going to help to have a Casper on an ELC, a Mazer on an ELC, yeah. a, you know, so on and so forth. So you get a lot of ELCs on your contributors there, and the further you kick those down the road, the more beneficial it is to what the Red Wings' ultimate window ends up looking like. However, you can't bring three, four rookies up at once. You have to stagger this. So I would like to see Edmondson play at least half a season in Detroit this year. So then that way, he's not a rookie when you bring up Johansson or Willinder next year. You would like to hope that Marco Casper can break through full-time this year so that when Mazer kicks down the door next year, you're not bringing up two rookies in prominent roles and then you get Danielson the year after that, and you can keep going down the line because you can't bring all these guys in at once. You have to make space for them at some point. I understand that you make them earn the spot, and I 1,000% believe in that. But we lived through the Holland era where we saw prospects kicking that door down and Holland looking through it and just slamming it back shut. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's, there is such a thing as over ripening a prospect. We have learned that. So it is now a very delicate balance of when this guy's ready, you have to give him a spot. I do not give a shit how much we like, you know, uh, I'm talking a lot about defense, but this applies to the force as well. How much we like Amada. We like a Sherat. We like a Goss bear. If Edvinson's ready, he's ready. Get one of those guys out of there. They have to be the priority. The Red Wings are not a free agent destination until they start winning again. The Red Wings have a lot of older players eating up cap space. This team is not getting elite talent anytime soon. The prospects are the best bet. If Nate Danielson can become a 2C, if Marco Casper can become a 2C, if Simon Edmondson can be a 3C, if Carter Mazur can be a second line right winger and all of these guys are effective in these positions, this is the biggest benefit to this team going forward. And I know we've had seven years of saying the prospects are the most important thing. The prospects are the future. The prospects and their development is everything. Well, we're still there. So it's still got to be the priority. Lots to digest. I think uh, one thing that I mentioned just before this and before your point, Brad, that makes me confident in terms of that delicate balance that you mentioned is it's been a complete 180 from the Holland era to the Eisman era in yeah. terms of when they graduate guys. So. Raymond jumped in a year early because he was ready. Cider came in and jumped into a very prominent role quickly because he was ready. Yeah. So this this organization has shown no hesitation to do it. And I have no, you know, obviously I'd probably sound really critical there. I have no expectation that they won't yeah. do that. So I, I don't think all these signings are going to preclude them from doing that, but it's worth reiterating. They have to do that. Yeah, it's going to take some figuring out. Okay, we have uh, some other, act- we're not even done the major topics here. Uh, it came down earlier today, and by the time you're listening, you'll know the results. But uh, Philip Zadina was placed on waivers by Steve Eisman and the Detroit Red Wings. Um, it and Eisman revealed thereafter in the press conference that Zadina actually asked for a trade because he wants to uh, get a fresh start somewhere else. Asked uh, shortly before the draft. What we can say and what we've said a lot of times on this podcast is not only has uh, Steve Eisman been shopping Philip Zadina in a trade for the past few weeks here in and around the trade, but also really for the last couple of years before Zadina's contract, after the contract, it's been a rocky ride and Zadina has been in and out of trade talks for that entire time. For a period of time, it was, can we maximize on this guy's perceived value from another team? And then, oh, he broke his leg. He's out for a long time and then he's back and he's doing well. And then, oh, he's injured again. And it's just been a rough road. And then when he asked for the trade, it was just trying to find him a new situation. So Eisenman mentioned that his preference, because he just signed him to a three-year deal, one year of which has uh, lapsed, that his preference is that Zadina figures it out and it happens in Detroit. He not so subtly said that the reason other teams don't want to take on the players because of the two remaining years on the contract. Uh, so wasn't able to find a trade partner. So we'll see if Zadina gets claimed again. You, the listener, are going to know uh, right now we are recording on Monday night at 10 p.m., so uh, we're still waiting on that news. But this could be one of two things. This could be Zadina clears and he's still fighting for a roster spot in camp and we're having the same conversations about Philip Zadina this September that we have every previous one, it seems like, for the last million years. Or someone takes a flyer. 
in a Tolvanen type pickup or maybe a lesser degree, but they try to give Zadina a fresh start and he gets a chance to put it together somewhere else. Honestly, I, I hope he does for Zadina's sake. For the Red Wings, it's obviously better to not lose an asset for free and you hope he figures it out here. You know, I'd say I don't think he's ever going to figure it out, but Tolvanen did, so there's always a chance. You know, Zadina is an offensive player who struggles to score. And on the Red Wings, that is probably one of the organizations in the league where he's going to get the least help in terms of, you know, offense, just because this team doesn't score. And there's so many teams, you know, right in the start of a rebuild who would love to take a reclamation project on like this. I'd be shocked if he got through Chicago, Anaheim, Philly, you know, all these teams that could just use bodies right now because they've, you know, torn it down to the core. So I don't expect him to clear. Uh, This is one of the very few waiver uh, placements from the Red Wings where I can say I'll genuinely be surprised if he clears. Um, Hope he does for the Red Wings' sake. I hope he doesn't for Zadina's sake. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, it just sucks. Yeah, I have a tough time seeing him actually clearing waivers. Like you guys said, there's so many teams that are year one of their rebuild and they just need somebody and he's the perfect case for a reclamation reclamation project. And his AAV isn't even bad, so those teams won't even care. Yeah, like if this was, uh, if Philip Zadina was drafted by, you know, the Blues or whatever, and this was six years ago and the Blues put him on waivers, knowing everything we know, we as Red Wings fans right now at that point in our rebuild we would be smashing this table to take the chance, yeah. right? So it is what it is. Is it likely that he'll turn it around Yeah, this deep into his career? Probably not, but I have a hard time believing that there's not one team who doesn't think he can turn it around. Yeah, 1.825 million isn't a lot in terms of cap, and he has two years at that number. If this was next year, I, I would confidently say, hey, we're recording more than 12 hours before waivers actually clear, and I will tell you he will be gone. But because the cap is still tight and rosters are still full because free agency just happened, there's I'm not entirely certain that he's he's going to get picked up by another team. That said, how did we get to this point? It's no mystery. We actually, it's become a joke on this podcast as we are all hyped out of our minds because Detroit got Zadina because he was a perceived fall in the draft. He fell to Detroit at six overall. For those who don't know who Detroit was going to take if Zadina didn't fall to them, and that that was not entirely expected. The Kotkin Yemi and Barrett Hayton picks are what pushed him down. They were going to take Evan Bouchard, and if not Bouchard, it was going to be Dobson or maybe Boakfist, but those were the guys. Uh, so Quinn Hughes wasn't in that mix, despite the fact that he obviously would have been a really fantastic pick at six overall where Detroit could have had him. Still, Zadina was a guy who came in who was supposed to fill nets. We all know the infamous quotes. He scored really well in junior. It's a story we've heard a million times, scored a lot in the Quebec Major Junior League, seen as a, a guy who could fill the nets to snipe the puck, really good release. He got to the NHL, had no space, had no deception on his release, wasn't able to adapt his game and seemingly was just running into the same brick wall trying to be that guy when it just wasn't going to work for him talent-wise. Can do a lot of other things extraordinarily well on the ice. Transport the puck, 200-foot game. Kind of mistake-prone, but I think he's worked on that over the last year. But anytime he gets within 10, 15, 20 feet of the net, he just forgets what to do. And it's it's one of those situations where I think, yeah, a fresh situation for Philip Zadina 
is probably what's best for the player and one of the only ways he's really going to figure it out in his career. And it's unfortunate because a lot of this ultimately does fall on the player. It does. I don't want to call it for anything other than what it is. This isn't a Jeff Blashill buried him in the lineup thing. This isn't a, oh, every injury was at the worst possible time thing. But like this past season, there were points where I know Derek Lone thought Zadina was unplayable in the lineup. And then there were points towards the end of the year where the Red Wings were really impressed with what Zadina had done. And injuries just came at the worst time. Sometimes you just need to remove yourself from the environment you're in and put yourself in a new one. So if Zadina clears, then I hope this training camp is better for him and he's able to to compete for a roster spot. It's going to be an uphill battle. But if he gets picked up by someone else, then I'm rooting for him. I think there's talent there. I'm not sure he puts it together, but I'd sure love to see it happen. That's Philip Zadina. Again, you'll know more and we'll talk about it next episode, whatever the result is. One more quick point here. Tyler Bertuzzi. I'm going to set the scene for you. He's on the Detroit Red Wings uh, as of last season. Negotiations with Steve Eiserman in the Bertuzzi camp go absolutely nowhere because Bertuzzi has an ask for term, uh, at least a seven-year contract, and Eiserman is completely disinterested. Neither side really came off of their demands. It became clear very early on for Steve Eiserman, as you confirmed later, that they were not going to find a solution and he was going to have to trade him, which is unfortunate because Bertuzzi is a really, 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 really good player. Now, there were concerns about, you know, is Bertuzzi's injury all season, multiple injuries all season, and previous back surgery going to make him hard to trade in general? But uh, alas, Detroit gets a really strong return from Boston in terms of what they were able to get for basically just a couple months of Tyler Bertuzzi. So, All's well that ends well for the Red Wings. It's an unfortunate divorce between Bertuzzi and the Wings. We all saw Dylan Larkin's presser. It's really tough to lose your best friend, one of the heart and soul guys on the team, fan favorite, et cetera, et cetera. So you think after a really strong first round in terms of production points, I know the play in his own zone and the mistakes weren't necessarily the best, but there's a lot of blame to go around for the Bruins. But a strong first round for Bertuzzi. His name is still on the map. A weak free agency pool, you think, He's going to get what he wants in terms of term and someone's going to pony up or he's going to settle a little bit, maybe take a six-year deal and get some good money. He did what I think is a really good move for his career, go and play likely with Austin Matthews in Toronto. If he can stay healthy, he's going to run unreal numbers, maybe the best of his career, signed a one-year deal for $5.5 million, and then he's basically going to try to get that bag next year. What blows my mind is that it, it, it came all the way to this point before Bertuzzi was willing to do that short-term deal. Is this the best move for his career? I think yes. Objectively, removing the bias, yes. Is it risky? I think yeah, because that guy has a hard time staying on the ice. He doesn't exactly stay healthy. But if he does, then this is an amazing move for him. But does this not miff you as a Red Wings fan? Does this not piss you off at least a little bit? Not even a little. You're a better man than me, Brad. Klingberg, he Klingberged himself. He overvalued himself and misjudged the market. And, you know, that's not a knock on him, but, you know, a lot of teams are feeling the squeeze. We've been talking about the flat cap ad nauseum for years. And it was a weak for aging crop. And, you know, Orlov only got two years. And, you know, Matt Duchesne only got a one-year three-mil contract. At like, least Orlov cashed out, though. Bertuzzi didn't even cash out on his no, one-year uh, deal. Yeah, Orlov was only two years. It wasn't much. And I would value Orlov more than Bertuzzi. 
You got seven and a half million a year. Yeah. So, but I, I think the term just wasn't out there. I think teams are learning their lesson on, you know, you don't go nuts in free agency because it so very rarely works out. I do think teams might get a little more reckless next off season. So I think given that. Yeah. They get the Christmas money next off yeah, season. Yeah. Bertuzzi overplayed his hand. Same thing happened to John Klingberg. Then he had to take a one-year prove-it deal. The difference between Klingberg and Bertuzzi is Bertuzzi went to the ideal situation for him in this scenario. He's going to go play on maybe the best offensive team in the entire NHL. He's going to put up a trillion points, and yeah, you know, he, someone's going to give him the bag next summer. Maybe not what he thought he'd get, because a lot of teams, like I said, learned their lesson from previous free agencies, but... You know, he might, there might be like a five by eight on the table for him next year. If he puts up 70, 80 points in Toronto this year, which if he stays healthy is very, very likely. So yeah, he overplayed his hand. And once he realized he overplayed his hand and he was, the market for him was not there. Of course he wasn't coming back to Detroit. Detroit wasn't going to be the team that was going to get him 70, 80 points. Why the hell would he? This team can't, this team finished 30th or whatever in goals scored last year. Of course he's going to go to Toronto if he wants to cash out next summer. But it's basically all coming down to him staying healthy because the reason he didn't make more on a one-year deal, you say, okay, you're not going to give me the term and then pay the price. And he said, well, I'm going to give up maybe a couple million on that price on this one year to be able to go play with this unreal talented offensive team, probably have no playoff success because it's the Leafs. And then make it later on. But are teams going to give a seven or maybe if it's Toronto eight-year deal to a 29-year-old next year? Yeah, maybe, Brad, once they get their newfound cap space, they're going to go nuts like when when you get your bonus check or whatever it might be. But this really is hinging on his health. He's going to have to put all the pads back and all of his equipment, and he's not going to have to you know, basically have snow on his jersey and shin pads after every shift. I like Tyler Bertuzzi. I'm certainly not going to root for him because that means rooting for the Leafs now. But... Uh, you know, I hope the gamble on himself works out. It is all basically hoping that he stays healthy, though. That's what it all hinges on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know people were Red Wings fans were upset until you mentioned it. So, oh, I was, I was, I saw that. I was like, are you? I understand all the steps as to how it got to this point, but it was still annoying. I, I yeah, but I still don't understand. Like, why are you mad? Because he didn't sign in Detroit? No, it's like the whole thing the whole time was term, term, term. I need seven years. I need seven years. And then the point Brad made about it's a pretty big risk to take on a guy who's injury prone and is is seven or eight years right for his age and the, the style of hockey he plays. And that was all seen from the beginning. I made that point two years ago. Everyone made that. Like it, it was obvious. And Eisenman, obviously, that's why it was a non-starter. And then it ends up at, is in a one-year deal for undervalued dollar. With Toronto. Like, yeah, so instead of getting seven years, he'll get six years and make lots of money yeah. next year. I just needed to blow some steam. Blow okay, some steam. fair enough. Thank yeah, you. I, did, I totally didn't understand the uh, the people were upset about that. I think it makes a lot of sense for him. If the long-term deal or nothing anywhere even remotely to long-term is out there, go to Toronto because there is no way he is anything less than like a 60-point player if he stays healthy. And there'll be a dumb team next year that'll give him six years for whatever he wants. It might even be Toronto. <laughs> it very well could be. They had an interesting, before that Bertuzzi contract, which is great for them, they had an interesting free agency. Well, all their money's now tied up in Ryan Reeves, so we can't, uh, they can't take him on. He plans a great team party, though. Excellent. Okay, folks, uh, there's a lot to cover still, trade signings, et cetera, from across the league, but... 
We are actually going to take this time and uh, take some fan questions and comments and jump into overtime. Again, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. In addition to uh, all of the great ways that you support the show that I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, you also get access to some really excellent benefits. First off, you get access to our exclusive Winged Wheel podcast Discord community, fantastic community that talks everything from the Red Wings to the podcast to draft to prospects to, you know, Formula One to golf to pets and food and everything in between. Also, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main episodes. We let loose, have fun. The guys are allowed to swear, and just generally, we have a good time on topic, off topic. They're they're always a blast to record, at least. So, and I've heard they're they're more fun to listen to than the main show. Some people have told me, which I'm not sure how to take that. And then you also are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we have given away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this past season and are going to do the same next season, and the vast majority are going to our Patreon supporters. So again, that's patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. The late breaking report is apparently Tarasenko is going to sign in Carolina. Oh, well, I'm glad we didn't take time to uh, talk about maybe <laughs> signing Tarasenko today, which is really good. Okay, thank you. Evan, breaking news on the show. Oh, I just looked at my phone for half a second. First time. Didn't catch, Dad didn't see me looking at my phone at the <laughs> <Yeah>. dinner table. <laughs> All right, let's take a comment from a listener. J.M. Rhapsody says, finish this sentence. The Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs in 2024 if... I will say the Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs in 2024 if Lucas Raymond has a breakout season and an Atlantic Division team stumbles in a bad way. And? Singular? This team finished seventh in the division. It felt like cheating to add three conditions, but feel free to give your own answer. Uh, yeah. If a uh, large meteor hits the eastern seaboard and takes Jeez. over at least three other cities. No. Uh, <laughs> That's going to be one hell of a meteor. <laughs> Actually, no. The meteor The meteor is unlikely. Yeah. If global warming happens so rapidly, it just floods all of Florida and Tampa and Florida no longer exist in this lake. You know Unfortunately, that's very realistic. <laughs> That's that's what's going to happen. No, realistically. No longer a swing state at that point, but. No, they, if we're just focusing on what has to happen with Detroit, uh, fortunately, I'm going to have to get more than one reason. Lucas Raymond's a great point. All of the new guys overperform, much like Perron and Kubelik did last year. And the biggest one, Huso has to go supernova. Has to. There's no way this team makes the playoffs without a huge goaltending performance because, quite honestly, they're just not going to score enough goals, too. So there's going to have to be a lot of 2-1 wins mixed in for this to happen. It's going to sound ridiculous, but I was going to say they'll make the playoffs if they overachieve. And I think that encompasses basically everything you guys said. Yeah, and a big part of that also is they have to stay healthy. Like, we're talking best-case scenario. Everyone gets healthy and stays healthy. and It's sort of baked into the overachieving. Yeah. If you aren't healthy, there's a hard chance that you can do that. Woodson, too, says, Hey, Dub Dub Crew, loved watching uh, your commentary on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you for tuning in. They ask, between Lombardi, Casper, and Mazer, who will get the most games in Detroit this year? Oh, Casper. I think Casper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Lombardi and Mazer are guys who have not experienced pro hockey for longer than a couple weeks. Um, I think Lombardi got in, what, two games? Mazer got six. Casper sent, spent the entire last season playing a prominent role on an SHL team. So he's the most likely to be ready to step in. Jeremy Dahl says, oh man, what a dagger to the heart by Burt. 
I don't think I'm going to be okay. Thank you for all your amazing coverage. My God, I couldn't wait for your free agency pod. I was so desperate I listened to Steve Tangle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steve. No, they do a good job Uh, over there. Two quick questions. They said that the Sens and the Habs are are going to have a sick blue line in the future, but I think they are underselling ours. How does our future blue line compare? Oh, ours is better than theirs, definitively. We have depth and superstar talent of... Everybody on Ottawa's blue line, is anybody going to be better than Mo Sider in their peak? No. Montreal? No. So we have the best young defenseman of the group. Sure, Reinbacher is good. Sure, Jake Sanderson's good. I don't think either of them are going to be better than Sider. And then you factor in Wallman, Willinder, Johansson, Sandine, Pelika. Yeah, I... Here, here's the thing, too, and it's it's probably an overarching point that Red Wings fans are really going to need to drill into their head, especially for the next couple of years going forward. The Red Wings might be the most forgettable team in the NHL. They're a, a middling team coming off of a very long rebuild where they have not been relevant in the NHL standings at all, and they are not an exciting team to watch. The national media and the average hockey fan has almost no reason to watch the Detroit Red Wings right now. So they are always, always, always going to be underestimated or forgotten about in conversations like this. So always keep that in the back of your mind. And I don't blame the national media or the average fan. (laughs) This year, I'm hoping it should be a little bit better, but still way off the mainstream path. Yeah. Uh, and second question here is, uh, and I really wanted to bring it, and with what it sounded like the ask was, would you have given up either of Danielson or Sandine Pelica for Debrinkit? You guys uh, are all awesome. You know, it's funny because you were talking about that really is pick 9 or 17, and before the draft I said no to 9, 17 I could, I could stomach. Now I'm saying no to either, based on knowing on who the picks are. Yeah, knowing who fell to 17 because it was a really fortuitous board for the Red Wings at that point. No. Um, but there's always the caveat. Well, what contract are we getting with it? You know what I mean? Like if we're getting to brink it at seven and a half by eight. Yeah, I'm probably still doing that. But um, from the sounds of it, it's not going to be close to that. So I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, next question here from the Jack Scientist says, happy free agency. Let's talk about a happier topic, Marco Casper. I feel like the more I see videos, hear about him, and the, high, uh, the higher I get on him, what are the odds he fits into the team next year given our new signings, and what should the expectation be in this next year, all of this coming off of his injury? Well, like we mentioned, there's a lot of roster ahead of him that he's going to have to clear through. He has been impressive from the moment he's been drafted. Let's see how the rest of development camp shakes out. Really, it's going to be training camp. Red Wings training camp that's going to define his season. So I think it's it's good and it's fair to have high expectations for him. I think an overperforming result for Marco Casper this year would be he plays a good chunk of games, maybe not as many as Berggren, but let's say he comes up at some point and makes it stick like Berggren did. That would be a fantastic outcome for Casper. If not, then just hope for him to thrive in Grand Rapids. Yeah, yeah. The most likely scenario in a whatever you want to consider best case scenario. Casper goes down, plays 30 games in Grand Rapids. 200-foot game looks great. He's like 25 to 30 points in that time, comes up. And then, yeah, has that Bear, Bear Grin stretch of, oh, yeah, he's not going back. Aaron says, seeing Zadina on waivers hurts. Where do you think the wings would be in the rebuild if he had turned out to be what the consensus thought he'd been on draft days? Uh, draft day, would he have had been our number one scorer? Had he been what we thought he'd be? I don't think they're 
super far ahead in the rebuild, but we wouldn't have to be having all these Debrinket trade talks because we'd already have them. Yeah, it's like the big thing with the rebuild. If you know, people love to talk about what set the rebuild back and why is this taking so long. And I've seen a couple of people talking about it online today, and it really is the reality of it. The Red Wings whiffed on four straight first round picks. It hurts, man. You just, you can't. 2015, Svechnikov. 2016, Chalosky. 2017, Rasmussen. Rasmussen's good, but not ninth overall good. And 2018, Zadina. That's four absolute whiffs, which is... Now, the nice thing, that regime and those, they are not in the organization because that is straight up a fireable offense for everybody involved. You're in a rebuild and you whiff on four straight... If this was the Patreon part, I'd be swearing a lot more because this is the part that pisses me off in the rebuild. Everybody involved in that needs to be fired. They're gone, so it doesn't matter. But that is why we are where we are now. There's almost a a complacency because Detroit just wasn't a team who drafted high up at all over the years, obviously with their, their playoff streak. But the lack of maximization of any of those picks, Michael Rasmussen has turned out okay. For relative to the ninth overall selection, he's turned out to be a great player for the Red Wings now, but not uh, someone you get at ninth overall. Yeah, it's kind of those things. Michael Rasmussen turned out great to where Michael Rasmussen was in 2019. Michael Rasmussen is still a big disappointment relative to what we expected of Michael Rasmussen in 2017. Yeah. So that is the ugly, ugly, ugly truth. Yes, the Red Wings haven't had lottery luck. Yes, you know, they haven't had the premier free agent come over. Yes, they haven't had Braden Point come through in the second or third round yet, but you can't miss an entire practical like I'm going to near call it, half decade. Yeah, that's it. That's a team's generation. I hate to say it. That's an entire competitive window's worth of first round picks. Poof, gone. But like nobody ever hits the perfect no no no, no. draft picks. But like a couple would be nice. But yeah, you go through what you the Red Wings could have had with those picks of guys who were picked in range and were reasonable. You're walking away with. Besser, you're walking away with uh, Suzuki or Nietzsche. You're walking away with Quinn Hughes, Evan Bouchard. Like, yeah, yeah, Chikrin. Like, it's that one is the most glaring. Yeah, incompetence. We don't need to rehash this for the a millionth time, but but that this, is the biggest. That that's a whiff on more yeah. than one. Zadina himself isn't enough to change this rebuild, but you turn Zadina into Bouchard. You turn Rasmussen into Suzuki. You turn Chalosky into Chikrin. You turn... Water and Svech- wine, baby. <laughs> Svechnikov into Besser. And yeah, you're in a, a much, much, much different place right now. Yeah, maybe I'll stop slicing it off the tee and I'll make consistent contact with my irons too. Yeah, I went to the range, fi- fixed my slice. I'm a pro golfer now. <laughs> well, golf talk is a good time to... Uh, good signal to end the episode. So folks... That is our first take on our free agency frenzy with Steve Eisman and the Detroit Red Wings. The analysis is going to continue. We'll be back with you uh, midweek. That'll be a Thursday episode this week. Thank you all so much for tuning in. It's very much appreciated. Again, uh, if you want to support the show and go that extra mile, patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, if you're not able to or you want to support the show in other ways, subscribe wherever you get the show and leave a rating, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever. It makes a big difference for us and it's uh, greatly appreciated. And tell a friend. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, new and old. We we really appreciate you all, all of our patrons, and especially our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, 
Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Marcus Nolong, Nicholas Brodine, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burkers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovie, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, If You're Happy and You Know It, Look Up From Your Phone, Jake Hollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Prashanth, the Goalie Truther, Ayerzerman, RA, Red Three, Ryan's Big Brass Ones, Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate's About You, The Mexinadian, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Eyes Are Playing Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Brian Vasha, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Evan, Jimi Hendrix of Clarinet Lobsinger. Did you play the clarinet? In grades seven and eight. Oh, man. I was uh, alto sax. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we were big winners. Uh, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Ryan's, Ryan Hanna's Big Brass Ones, uh, S. Gray, Shahid Syed, Stephen, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. We'll be back with you on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.